Church, how are you? Man, it's so good to be with you. It's great to have you here and a part of the story that God is writing here at Active Church. If you've been here a really long time, welcome back and welcome home. And if this is your first time with us, we hope that you'll be with us for a really long time. And there's a place called Guest Central. We would love to meet you, put a face with a name, and we have a free gift for you. And then today, you picked a really great day to show up because today, after this service, is something we call First Step. And at First Step, we talk about the values of Active and we help you to take your first step in getting involved. And so I would love for you to take about 20 minutes, meet me across the way in our events room. Uh, We have a free cupcake for you. These are delicious cupcakes. And I'm not just saying that because my wife made them, but they are actually really good. And I know that because I got to lick the bowl after everything was created. So, um, and I still like, it hasn't, it hasn't taken, well, maybe it has, but um, that's irrelevant. So I would love for you to come and hang with us today First step, stop by Guest Central after this service, but then come and hang with us. We have some great things happening today and this year at Active, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, I want to pray some words over you, and then we'll dive into the story of God together. So Heavenly Father, I pray that these next few minutes would be inspiring and challenging and convicting. God, I pray that these next few minutes would renew our minds and refresh our hearts. And I pray that we would leave this place different than how we came in. And I ask God that you would do a good work in us and through us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. So last summer, I did something on my own for the very first time. I participated in this with family and with my wife, but I've never done this on my own. And it wasn't because I was anti this thing. It wasn't because I was against this thing. In fact, I think what I did last summer, everybody should try at least once. And what I did last summer is I met with a therapist. And I met with a therapist because I didn't like the thoughts I was having in that season of my life. And I didn't like how I was feeling, the emotions that I was feeling. And I I felt like I was pulling away from those that I love and I was learning to love. And, And I'm somebody who, if I get overwhelmed, I'll just get really quiet and I'll hide in my little corner. And because I married, Uh, the best wife in the world, she recognized some things and some rhythms in me. And we began to have some good conversations about that. And it led to us finding a therapist for me. And it was so helpful. The things that he pointed out in me that I recognized, but also the things that he pointed out in me that I didn't recognize that were actually happening in me. I didn't know why I was responding the way that I was responding. He started the conversation with, after I shared where I was at and what I was thinking. And he goes, well, you're your typical mid forties struggling with, with anxiety and depression. And I said, you watch it, you watch it right now. Like, you know, how dare you, right? I'm paying you, you know? But it was so helpful because he was honest with me and, and was really honest about what was happening inside of me. And I, I felt like I really benefited from that. But there was one benefit that I just didn't anticipate. There was one thing that I, that I, I saw happen, not just in me, but through me that I, that I didn't even expect. And I wanna tell you about that today. We are in week two of a series called Try Something Different. And we began this conversation last week and we talked about how often we can use the calendar change to try to change us when in reality, the calendar change has no power to change us. And so we began to ask a really important question. How do we try something different? 
And we talked about our relationship with God. Some of us, we've been following Jesus for a while. Some of us were new to this. Some of us were intrigued by this. And so what we discovered last week is that the best posture when it comes to God, when it comes to the person and work of Jesus and us trying something different is a posture of curiosity that we're gonna ask and we're gonna seek and we're gonna knock and we're gonna lean in and we're not going to be afraid of our doubts and we're going to make sure that we can lean in and discover who God is and what he has for us because a faith that can't be questioned is a faith that can't be trusted. And a God that can't be, can't be questioned is a God that shouldn't, we shouldn't follow. And so we discovered last week that the best posture we can have to try something different in our spiritual life is a posture of curiosity. Today, I wanna to talk about trying something different with our mental health. And before I talk about what maybe you should consider, could I talk about us just as a collective group of people and even us as a culture? Because when it comes to mental health, I don't think that we've always been really good at talking about mental health struggles and mental health issues. Maybe the language that has been used around you has been one of the reasons why you were a bit hesitant to even do anything, say anything, or admit anything about what was happening inside of your heart or inside of your mind. Maybe you've heard the people around you say something like, well, the reason why you're struggling is because you're not keeping a positive thought. The reason why you're struggling is because you're, you're not choosing positivity. You have to have a, a positive mind. And if you choose to have a positive mind, then these things won't get to you. But what they may not realize and what they may not be aware of is that you've really tried to be positive. But this, this goes deeper than just you choosing to be positive, right? Maybe you've heard people around you when it comes to the mental health conversation, maybe you've heard people around you say, well, the reason why you're struggling is because you're not praying enough. The reason why you're struggling is because you're not believing in God enough and believing for God to do something in you. The reason why you're here is because you're not reading the Bible enough. And again, no, no judgment on those that may have said those things. I think maybe they come from good intentions, but the reality is, is that they're not good at all. At least the directives are not good at all because what they may not know is that you've prayed more than you've ever prayed and that you have believed in God more than you've ever believed. And you found all the verses, didn't you? You found all the verses that speak about peace and about comfort and about renewing your mind. You memorized them and you're terrible at memorizing things, right? And you memorized those things, but what you realize is that you still are looking to try something different. Those things are powerful and those things are good, but there's something deeper that's happening in you. Or maybe you've heard people around you say, well, this mental health thing is just a generational thing because they said, are you ready? Back in my day, we didn't struggle with this. Back in my day, we didn't have these issues. But what they may not realize or what they may not be considering is that mental health issues isn't a generational thing. It's a human thing. And what this generation has allowed us to do is to acknowledge that it's a human thing and to have permission to perhaps do something about it. The reality is, is that wherever we find ourselves, each of us deal with some level of mental health or we're connected to somebody that's wrestling through the heaviness and the difficulty of mental health. And that's a reality that we can't ignore. That's a reality that's happening in all of us all of the time. And when it comes to mental health, I think for a lot of us, it just, it just feels really hard to admit to. 
It feels really hard to say, yeah, there's some anxiety deep within me or there's some depression that's fighting against me. It was weird to say that out loud to you when my therapist said it to me. I'm like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Leave me alone. But in reality, there were some things that were happening deep within me. There were some things that are still happening deep within me. And it's, it's difficult to admit those things. And, and as a guy, and I, I can't speak for you ladies, but I would assume that it might be very similar to us because you're as human as we are. But I think sometimes we feel a lot of embarrassment when it comes to the mental health conversation. We feel a lot of shame. Like, why is it, why is it that I'm, I'm wrestling through this? Maybe we look at one another and we, be, we begin to compare our mental health journeys to each other, right? How come they're better and I'm not? I've been following Jesus a whole lot longer than them, right? I know the Bible better than them. I'm not going to say this out loud, but I know the Bible better, right? Like, I think we have those thoughts. I, I've been doing well. How come they're doing better than me? Or at least it seems like they're doing better than me. We begin to compare ourselves. Sometimes I think we even try to convince other people that this is a reality. Instead of dealing with what's happening inside of us, we want to spend time talking to those around us, making them aware that this is a reality when, in fact, that doesn't really help us personally. And then, and then when we, we're encouraged to talk to a therapist or we're encouraged to talk to a counselor, do you ever, do you ever find yourself going, well, how do I go about doing that? Or what do I say to them? And what if I say the wrong thing and they put me in a straitjacket? You ever been afraid of that? Like, I mean, I'm, let's just be honest. Like, what if I say the wrong thing and they're like, uh, we're calling the police. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't mean to make light of it, but I think sometimes we're, those are things that come into my mind and maybe into your mind as well. Do you, do you, feel, the, do you feel the weight of that? And maybe not even just personally, but maybe you feel the weight of it personally because of the relationship that you're in with somebody else. And you see how it's, it's just been heavy and hard for them and you've done everything that you can or you hope that you've done everything that you can to really help them and support them. I think all of us, whether it's personal for us or it's in a relationship with others, we all feel the weight of the reality of mental health and anxiety and depression and all that goes along with it. And so before we even talk about trying something different, I think that the first thing we need to do is we just need to acknowledge it and hold space for each other. You ever, you ever heard of that phrase, hold space? It, there's, there's two layers of definition for holding space. The, the first layer is this, that holding space is choosing to acknowledge the reality of someone's experience. It's choosing to acknowledge the reality of what someone is going through or has gone through. I found myself in the last two months here at Active after the time of teaching and then we finished the service, I found myself talking with a lot of you and I'm so grateful for the things that you share and you trust me with. Thank you for that. It means more than you know. But I found myself talking with a lot of you and, and I, I, I said this phrase pretty often to the last few people that I interacted with. I said, hey, anxiety is real and depression is, is real. And so don't dismiss that. Because what they were doing, and not intentionally, or maybe intentionally, but what they were doing was pushing it aside. They're like, well, I need to, and I got to, and I have to, and I must. And I was like, well, let's just pause for a moment. Like, you went through this, that's heavy. And it might be hitting you this way. And, and, and God gave us emotions, and sometimes those emotions can go all over the place. And so, so holding space is us acknowledging the reality of anxiety and depression, and that it's real even if I don't deal with it myself. It's acknowledging that the person on the other side of me is wrestling through this. It's a reality for them. It's happening. 
And then holding space is choosing to see others right where they are, not where you think they should be. I I know that we all have a word for somebody that comes to us to share what it is that they're struggling with. And and can I just be honest with all of us in this place, and I'm, I'm with you. The reason why we have a word is because we wanna help. It may not be the right time or the right moment, right? And we'll work on that. But the reason why we have a word for you is because we want to help. And we have some wisdom that we want to share. But taking a step back and choosing to hold space is us recognizing that we're going to see you where you are and not where you, you should be or where we think you should be. And so before we say any word, we might just need to pause. We might just need to say to the person on the other side of us, hey, I see you. And I hear you. And I acknowledge that this is a reality for you. And then let the silent take over. Let the silence take over in that moment. I just, I I see you and I, and I hear you and that's a reality. So could I just say to you, active, I see you. And I acknowledge that this is a reality for you. And I hear you. And not even just for those in this room, but for those watching online, I see you. And I acknowledge you and I know that this is a reality for you. And and I'm not doing that because I'm a really great guy. Although I like to think that I'm a really great guy. Ask my wife and my kids if that's true. But but I'm doing that because I think it's a really great way forward. And I think it's one of the most godly postures we can hold. There's this beautiful story that comes from chaos in the Old Testament. Where uh, God promises a man named Abraham that he is going to be this father of this incredible nation. A nation that numbers the stars in the sky. And it comes true. Abraham becomes the father of the nation of Israel and ultimately becomes the father of each of us because we are connected to the nation of Israel through the person and the work of Jesus. But Abraham, when he was promised this by God, was, was really old. And his wife was really old and they were not able to have kids up until this point. And because they were really old, they're like, well, things don't look too good for us moving forward. So Abraham's wife, Sarah, suggests that Abraham sleep with their servant. So then she can have a baby and they could help God out. What I've learned in following Jesus since I was eight years old is God doesn't need our help (laughs) at all. God invites us to walk with him. He He doesn't need our help to fulfill his will. But Sarah, trying to be helpful, said, well, maybe, maybe if you did this, that would be helpful to what God wants to do. So they have, a, they have a baby. Hagar has a baby, Ishmael. And Sarah gets jealous and sends Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert because she's extremely, extremely bothered by the fact that, that she was able to have a kid and, and, and Sarah wasn't. And eventually Sarah does have a kid. But Ishmael and Hagar are sent into the desert. And there's this moment where Hagar is hungry and thirsty And God meets with her in the desert and cares for her. And the writer of Genesis puts this really great, beautiful nugget in the midst of this really difficult story where it speaks upon what happened in that moment. It speaks on behalf of of Hagar. And we read these words in Genesis 16.3, that she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. El Roy is the Hebrew name for the God who sees. And we learn from that moment and many moments in the scriptures that God is a God who sees and hears and God is a God who announces that you matter and that his love is real for you. 
and that his hope is tangible for you. Even in seasons, even in moments, even in a life that's filled with anxiety and depression. Got heavy for a moment there, didn't it? And that's why I think we just need to hold space because it's a reality. It's a reality for a lot of us, maybe for all of us. And because that's a reality, why don't we try something different? Instead of comparing ourselves to the people around us, instead of trying to convince those that we're in relationship with that this is a reality, what if we just decided that we're gonna try something different with the God that we get to be curious about, with the God who sent his son to die on a cross and rise again for us? Why don't we try something different with that God and see what happens? So today I wanna share a real awesome historical true story with you in the life of Jesus. A story maybe you're familiar with, and even if you're not a church person, you're probably familiar with it. I wanna share that story because there's one thing in that story that we need to know about the God that we choose to follow. And then there's three specific things that I believe that God has provided to help you and to help me move forward and try something different in our mental health. So if you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app, I wanna invite you to turn to John's letter in the New Testament. John's letter, John chapter two, starting in verse one. If you don't have access to any of that, the verses will be on the screen for you as well. I'm gonna read through this letter. I'm gonna tease it out just a bit, but there's one thing that I want you to see in this letter that's really, really important. So John writes this letter about Jesus and his interactions with Jesus because he wants you to know who Jesus is, but more importantly, that you may believe and that you may, by believing, you may have life in the name of Jesus. And so John opens up this historical story in John chapter two, verse one, this way. He says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to Jesus, they have no more wine. Woman, probably shouldn't call your mom woman, but it's Jesus, so I guess he can kind of get away with that. He says, he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, there are layers to just that sentence that we don't have time to go into today, but what Jesus is insinuating here to his mom is that, hey, I didn't come for a, a good party trick. I came for something very, very much more important than that. But what I love about this moment is in verse five, it says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like what a, what a boss mom move right there, right? Like she, she hears Jesus and he's like, uh, my time hasn't come yet. And she's like, that's cute. Hey, do whatever, do whatever he says. All right, see, bye son, see you at home, right? Like, she just pulls a boss mom move in that moment. And so Jesus is like, okay, mom. Like even, even the son of God needed to honor his mom. I, I love that. So then we read in verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse seven. So Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And so they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside. And he said, verse 10, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheap wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best until now? 
So if you need a, a good party trick, you know, Super Bowl's coming up, like you serve the good stuff at the beginning, and then once they've had a little bit too much, you pull out the Capri Suns, all right? That's, that's the lesson that we can learn from this. But there's something more going on here, obviously. Now, we could talk through this entire story, and it would be powerful and life-giving and life-changing, but I want to focus on one specific moment, and I want to take you back to verse 6, and we're going to read 6, 7, and 8. And here's what we read earlier. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then as they did, he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. So two questions for you to consider. You don't have to answer out loud, but just for you to consider to get your mind going a bit this morning. First question is this, who turned water into wine? Now you're at church. And so the answer is always Jesus. That's the answer, right? You're correct. And so anytime somebody asks you a question, always start with Jesus. Cause if you're wrong, they're gonna be nice to you, but start with Jesus, right? Jesus, right? And so we know from this story that Jesus turned water into wine. And the reason why he did that is well, because He's Jesus. And now when John is writing this, John is actually pointing to something. And this is the first of seven miracles that John writes about because John in his letter is trying to help you to see and experience and know that Jesus is who he says that he is. And so he starts with this miracle and he builds to the resurrection of Jesus in his letter so that you would know that he is the Messiah, the son of God, and that you would believe in him. And by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why this story is included in this letter of John. But we're focusing on just this moment for a moment. So the second question I wanna ask you is this, would water have turned into wine without the followers of Jesus doing what Jesus asked? Now, the obvious answer is yes, of course. Water could have turned into wine because he's Jesus and he can do whatever he wants, right? He is God in the flesh. But what we find in this story is that water turned into wine because the followers of Jesus did what Jesus invited them to do. And that's important because there is a narrative from Genesis to Revelation all throughout the scriptures about God and then in the person and in the work of Jesus that you and I need to understand that I think sometimes we miss. And so don't miss this. When God moves... God moves with us. When God moves, God moves with us. He doesn't move around us. He doesn't want to move without us. From the very beginning of the scriptures all the way to the end of the scriptures, when God moves, God moves with us. Now, he can move around us and he can move without us. And when those moments happen, it's because you and I have decided to not do what God has invited us to do, to not be obedient to his word, not to be obedient to his way, to not honor his will. When we refuse or when we choose to sin, when we choose to dishonor those around us were dishonoring and sinning against God. And so God can move without you and around you, but God refuses to do that when he invites you from the very beginning. He wants to move with you in this life. It's why you're created. It's why I was created. God wants relationship with you. God isn't looking to crush you. God wants to be with you. This is the God that you can engage with. This is the God that many of you have decided to follow. 
God wants to hand in hand, arm in arm, step in step, story in story, be with you. We see that from the very beginning and then it gets announced in the person and in the work and in the way of Jesus. The desire of God is to do this life with us, not without us. And that's so important for every one of us in every aspect of our life, including your mental health. You're not broken. Your chemistry is not your character. You're not a misfit. God cares about all of you including the emotions that you're experiencing and the thoughts that you're having. And that is so important because we need to understand that God cares about our mental health and provides everything we need for a healthy mind. Because he is a God that doesn't wanna do things without you or around you, he can and he will, but he wants to be a God and longs to be in relationship with you where you do things together. What a privilege for us, by the way, that Almighty God would even give us attention and would even notice us. But we compare God sometimes to our relationships with each other. And I think that we are mis-evaluating God when we compare God to the relationships we have with those around us. These relationships are powerful, but our relationship with our Heavenly Father is one that I don't even think that we can even grasp fully. And this is what this little nugget in this story about water into wine teaches us, that God, God cares about you and wants to do life with you. And he specifically cares about your mental health and he cares about the things that you're wrestling through. And so because of that, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, takes what Jesus teaches us verbally through his word, but also in his actions, and he drops them into real life so that you and I would know what this looks like in a very specific and tangible way way. And I'm convinced based upon what Jesus did and based upon what Paul wrote, that God provides three specific ways for us to try something different with our mental health. He provides three specific tools, three specific things to try something different with our mental health. And those three things are this, prayer, people, and professionals. Prayer, people, and professionals. And let me show you how this gets teased out in the scriptures. In Philippians chapter four, Paul writes this beautiful narrative about how he was struggling and writes from his human perspective and writes about how God met him in that moment. And I want you to see it. So Philippians chapter four, we're gonna start in verse six. Here's what Paul starts with as he talks about our mental health journey and specifically his. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, immediately we can read that and go, well, I've lost. <laughs> because that directive is very difficult to live with. What Paul is saying here is not, you can't be anxious. What Paul is saying is, is that anxiety is a reality. Many of us live with fear. Many of us live in panic. Many of us live with nervousness and anxiety. And what Paul is saying here is that it doesn't have to be that way because you have a relationship with your heavenly father through the person and the work of Jesus. You don't have to live in that rhythm anymore. 
You don't have to walk this way anymore. And then he gives us a way forward. Here's the first step and the first thing that God provides. At the end of verse six, we read this. But in every situation, pray. Now, many of you might respond, maybe not out loud, but in your mind, you're like, of course, Pastor Mike, you would say pray, right? That's the right answer in church next to Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. And then the second answer is pray, right? And maybe many of you are like, don't you know that I've prayed? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. I know that you've prayed specifically about your mental health. But I think that when we treat prayer as, as one of, instead of the thing that God has provided for us, we miss the power of it. So could I just take a moment to talk about the power that we have to access Almighty God through prayer? Prayer is God giving you permission to have full and complete access to the God who made everything. Full and complete access to the God who sent his son to die on the cross for you. Full and complete access to the God who resurrected Jesus from the grave so that you and I may have life when we choose to follow him. Full and complete access. No retina scans, no down payment, no anything that you have to do to jump the hurdle in order to interact with God. Full and complete access. By the way, this isn't just for Christians. This is for everybody. Those of us that trust in Jesus understand what it brings to us and who we begin to interact with. He's our heavenly father. Those of you that have not yet crossed the line of faith and trusted in Jesus, you still have full and complete access to almighty God. How ridiculous is that? And yet that's what we have when we bend the knee to almighty God. And then what the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. The writer of Hebrews says that you and I can approach the throne of God filled with grace and mercy. We can approach it with confidence. Why? Because it's filled with grace and mercy, not condemnation. And you already know how to live this way. You already know how to live confidently. Can I, can I show you? When you go home today, you're going to drive home and you're not going to put in the maps to try to figure out how to get home. You already know the way. You're confident, right? And when you get home, you're going to take your shoes off. You're going to get some comfy clothes on. You might pop on a football game and you might eat and you might bring out the good wine at first and then the Capri Suns later, right? Like you're going to get really, really comfortable. Why? Because you're confident. You're confident in your home. You're not going to ask for permission to open up the refrigerator. You're not going to ask for permission to make a sandwich. You're not going to ask for permission to take your shoes off. Why? Because you're confident. Why? Because you're comfortable. Why? Because you belong here. And that's what prayer does and communicates to you and to me. Full and complete access to Almighty God. You and I have that. The God who sees us the God who hears us, the God who loves us, the God who displayed all of that through the person and the work of Jesus. If you ever wonder how God feels about you, just turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to the cross and the resurrection. This is the God who says, I'm not gonna allow you to stay in that space and in that place. You don't have to live with anxiety and depression. I can be the one that walks next to you. And as you face this, you can turn to me and you can tell me about it. He's your heavenly father. And why not go to your heavenly father? Some of you, you were raised by really good dads. I was raised by a really good dad, still a good dad. I have a good father-in-law. I've shared about him before. And I gotta tell you, when things go sideways in, in my life, my first thought is to go to my dad. When I got into a car accident as a teenager, 
It wasn't my fault. It was their fault, by the way. When I got into a car accident as a teenager, you know what I did? Ran to my dad. I remember that moment. I got rear-ended as I was pulling into church because I'm a good kid. I got rear-ended as I was pulling in. And I, and I remember like it spun my car around. I had a 1971 fire engine red Mercury Comet that was beautiful and slick and gorgeous. And this old lady, she hit me and I was so mad at her. And I'm working on that bitterness. But I remember I got out of the car and I saw that my car was damaged and the church was right here. And I remember like wondering what I should do in that moment. And I didn't do the right thing because I looked at the lady that hit me and I said, don't you go anywhere. And I ran into the church and I found my dad. When Tiff and I had a, had a financial issue when we first got married, we, we made a mistake and sent a payment here when it should have gone there. And we weren't gonna be able to cover the next, next set of bills. I went to my dad. When I don't know what to do. I asked my dad. And he is not my heavenly father. And my heavenly father is better than my dad. And my heavenly father has given me full and complete access to him. And you as well. And this is why prayer is so important. Prayer is just you acknowledging that you don't have to carry this anymore by yourself. You don't have to deal with this anymore by yourself. You can tell Almighty God and you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be in a panic. You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to go approach him with appropriateness. You don't even have to have the right language. And I know some of you are like, I don't even know how to pray. Great. You know what you need to do? Start with your need. What is it that you need? And that's all that you need to say to Almighty God. And if you can't say it out loud, then you can think it. If you can't think it, then you can write it. If you can't write it, then go for a walk. If you can't go for a walk, pop in some music and allow the music that you love or allow the music that expresses love to almighty God stir your heart so that you can speak to God about the things that you're carrying because you were never meant to carry those things by yourself this is what prayer does for us this is why you'll see people around you bend the knee to almighty God and why when they when you share something with them they'll say could I just pray for you because they believe because the scriptures teach that they have full and complete access to God. And who better to go to than God? Where else are you gonna go? You could find other places, by the way. You could find other people to go to. You could read books, you could do all of those things. But what you'll find is all roads will lead you back here because it will not satisfy your soul and it will not bring peace to your mind. But Almighty God will. Almighty God will. And that's what prayer does, full and complete access. And then Paul, Paul's not done. The next thing that he says is after prayer, I wanna invite you into what he calls petition. Petition is asking for something specific. Now we've assumed because this is all in context, we've assumed that when we pray, we only pray to God and then we then only petition God. But what Paul is saying is that you start with your heavenly father, but when you are petitioning God, you can also petition the people of God because the people of God have the wisdom of God that perhaps could help you get from where you are to where you want to be or help you walk from where you are to where you want to be. Or maybe they could just hold space for you to remind you that you are not on your own in this, by yourself in this. Friends, we can pray to God for healing and we can petition others for help. This is the invitation of following Jesus and this is the invitation of being a part of the church. It's how the community of faith works. It's why we're the church, friends. James, the brother of Jesus who saw this up close, saw him up close. He writes this in his letter. He says this in James 5, 13. If any of you are in trouble, let him pray. Notice he starts where Paul starts. 
full and complete access to my brother who I call my savior because he is Lord in the flesh. I'm going to access him and I would invite you to do the same thing. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him petition the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That you're inviting people to join you in this journey, people that have earned your trust, people that have earned your respect, people that have shown you that they'll hold space, but they'll also walk with you in that space and help you to take the next steps if you can't take it by yourself. The powerful truth in this verse specifically and what Paul is teaching us is that God is for us and he gave us the church to remind us. This is why we gotta get this right. It's even why we practice confession and repentance so that we can get this right. Paul writes and says, full and complete access to God and then open yourself up to the people around you that you trust, that have earned your trust, that have integrity with you. And then he writes this. Here's how we respond to the end of verse six. With thanksgiving. In other words, take full advantage of this. Take full advantage of full and complete access to God. Take full advantage of the support that people have around you. And by the way, some of those people might have some wisdom about how the body works that you don't have. And I think that this moment, when we talk about Thanksgiving, we can easily shift this into a posture of gratitude. Here's the difference between Thanksgiving and gratitude. Thanksgiving is I'm thankful. Grateful people show it. They don't just say it. And having a posture of thanksgiving with gratitude means that I'm gonna make the most intimidating and probably the scariest decision that I could ever make. And I'm going to sit down face to face, eyeball to eyeball with a therapist or a counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And I'm gonna do that and I'm not gonna be afraid of that because there is someone who has taken time to train themselves on how the brain works and how the body works and how emotions work and how trauma works and how PTSD works. And I'm going to say yes to this because I've gotten to this point, maybe on my own, but I need the power of God. I need the power of friends, but I also need the professional help to help me acknowledge and recognize some things that are holding me back from being all that God has created me to be. So hear me. Hear me, getting professional help is a godly thing to do. And that includes medicine. And some of you are not fans of medicine and you are awesome. I just want you to know that there are some of us whose brains and bodies and emotions have been bruised so much that like a cast on our arm to heal our arm, we might need some help in this season so that we can make it through this season so that we can look to God and look to others and choose joy instead of allowing our emotions and our brokenness to overwhelm us. Don't be ashamed if you're taking medicine. Don't be afraid to take some medicine. And don't do it because I told you to. <laughs> you trust in God, the wisdom of people around you and the wisdom of that professional that you meet with. Friends, I want you to know that a faith-filled mental health journey includes prayer, people, and professional help. And since we're speaking honestly, can I just speak honestly to you about your journey? I know that a lot of us, we're gonna take these steps and we're gonna have this expectation that once we take these steps, everything's gonna be okay. And I believe that it will be. 
And I believe that for some of us, you're gonna find yourself in a brand new season with a brand new mindset and a brand new heart. But I also know that for some of us, the tension that we're gonna have to manage for the rest of our lives is the tension of depression or the tension of anxiety or the tension of whatever it is that we're wrestling through, the tension of taking medicine to help get our mind and our heart right. And you're gonna wonder why this is your path or your rhythm in life. And could I just answer that question of why? I don't know. And I don't think that you want a real answer. And here's why. Because when you ask the question why, there's nothing that's going to emotionally satisfy you deep within you. There's nothing that's going to make you go, oh, that's why for the rest of my life I'll deal with anxiety. Cool. There isn't anything that's going to set you up to win that way. So maybe a better question is, what now? So what do we do now? Let's be faithful. Let's be thoughtful. Let's be intentional. Let's be wise. And let's utilize what God has placed in our hands. Prayer, full and complete access. People, support and love. And professionals, the help that you cannot get on your own. That is a faithful following of Jesus. And what you'll discover is that it'll benefit you and what you'll find out is that it'll benefit those around you. Can I take you back to my story at the beginning for a moment? So I went and saw a therapist and it was the summertime and, and because it's summertime, our kids are home from school and my son was home at school and he and I have this uh, really terrible habit of eating A&W. Um, and I say terrible because what happens afterwards is terrible, but what we love it while we're doing it. And so we were driving to, you probably didn't need to know that, by the way. Um, sorry. Yeah, just delete. So, so we're, we're driving and, and I, felt this, I felt this stirring in my heart to tell Gavin that I had been meeting with a therapist. And in our family, that's not unusual because we have a, a rule that nothing's off limits. So we talk about everything. Sometimes we probably talk about everything a bit too much. And so there's, there's moments where we're like, all right, I'm all done, right? I don't wanna talk about that. So that's why I probably shared, overshared this morning. But so we're driving, I felt like I needed to share that with, with Gavin. And so I did, I said, hey, I just want you to know, like I, I've been meeting with a therapist and it's been so good for my heart and my mind, bud. Here, here's how it's impacted me. And Gavin was very respectful and honoring and affirmed the things that he heard. And he was very supportive of me. And then it got quiet in the car. And then he said, he said, do you think that you and mom could help me find a therapist? And I said, yeah, is this something you've been thinking about for a while? And he goes, yeah, I've been thinking about it for a long while, but I felt ashamed. And hearing you tell me that you went opened me up to say, Gosh, I could ask my dad and my mom anything and they're gonna help me. And so he did. And I was able to share that with you because he gave me permission. And so I'm so grateful for what that step did for me, but I'm even more grateful for what it opened up in my son. And I can't even, I can't even fathom what it might mean for you if you decide to pray and trust in those people around you 
and to seek professional help so that you can try something different. Who? Who may benefit from your decision to try something different with your mental health? Who may benefit? You may not know until you admit, take the step and then share the story. So three things and then I wanna pray for you. First thing, if you don't mind, could everybody just pull out their phone? I wanna give you uh, some resources to take your first step when it comes to the professional help. And so the reason why I wanted everybody to pull out their phone is I wanna I want invite you to, to text different to the number that you'll see coming up on the screen. And what you'll receive when you send a text is you'll receive a link of resources on professional help, people that we trust, someone that I just recently met that has become a friend. And it also has the suicide prevention hotline as well, because that's a reality, friends. And I want us all to pull our phones out so that those that end up texting different to that number on the screen don't feel pointed out or ashamed. I want us all to just point up, pull our phones out. I think we all should text it because there's resources that could help you and could help those around you. So if you would text different to the number on the screen, that will give you a link. It's a safe and secure link that will take you to our website and that will be up on our website for as long as we can keep it up there so that you have access to resources and help. The second thing that I wanna invite you to do is I wanna invite you to sign up for a connection group that you would begin to build relationships with the people around you in very thoughtful and intentional ways. They launched the week of February 4th. It's the 7th will be the night that we launch them. And you can sign up in our lobby today if you're here on campus or you can go to our website and there's a groups link in there. You can sign up as well. Each of the group link, uh, they are master classes that teach very specific things. I'm gonna be teaching a class on how to read the Bible. I would love for you to join me in that. Joe's gonna be teaching a class on leadership. James and Julia Rensink are gonna be teaching a class on uh, relationships, marriage, dating. There's so many awesome, incredible groups that will be available. There's one on resource and there's also one that's just a Bible study about who God is and what God does. And so you can check out our website today or you can talk with some friends in the lobby about that today. And then the, the last thing is, I would love to give you some words that you could memorize. Perhaps these could be a prayer for you this week. But these are words that I, I shared with a friend this week because God hit me with it on a Monday. And then I reached out to the friend and shared it with her. And then I thought, man, it would be so good if our church was able to just get these words in their heart and in their mind. And so this week, would you join me in memorizing and maybe praying through Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six. It reads this way. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. May these words be the words that rush your brain and fill your heart when you find yourself in panic. And may these words give you permission to turn to the God that has given you full and complete access. May these words remind you that God has surrounded you with the church. And may these words invite you to take that really powerful step of getting some professional help. Church, would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray some words over you. pray together. Heavenly Father, as we consider what it is that you've laid in front of us today, may we not be afraid, embarrassed, or ashamed 
but may we trust that you, almighty God, are at work in us and through us. God, we pray these words from the letter of Hebrews and we believe these words to be true because they are. We trust that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us or turn your back on us. And because of that, we say with great confidence that you, God, are our helper and we do not need to be afraid. So would you cast out fear in our hearts and our minds? Would you remove any barrier that would keep us from taking the step that we need to take today? Would these resources be beneficial and helpful for us and those around us? Would you remind us that there are people that we know and that we need to know that we can meet in connection group and so may we not avoid that or stay away from that? And God, may we know with great confidence that you have given us full and complete access and that there's nothing that stands in the way of us engaging you, trusting in you, following you, believing in you, being loved by you, forgiven by you, set free by you. May we be who you have created us to be and may your name be written on our hearts and may we know that we belong to you no matter what we've done or where we've been. And may we trust that you, almighty God, are at work in us and through us. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who has given us access to you, heavenly father. And we pray together and say, amen and amen and amen. Let's sing together.